Hello, everybody. The reading this evening is taken from Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12, to 2, verses 26. I'll be reading from the NIV, and the verses will be up, me behind, up on the screen behind me. That's Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12, to 2, verses 26. This is the word of the Lord. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much, much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embraced folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves to, of flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned one more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overcome me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated my life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all of the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all their own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless, 
and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. If you haven't heard of it, go home and listen to it immediately after the service. It was the first, um, it was the first hit of the Rolling Stones that broke into the American market. They're a British band, and it's a big deal to break into the American market. Their lead guitarist is a guy called Keith Richards, one of the best musicians ever, and he wrote the music and the lyrics to the song and claimed that actually the song came to him while he was sleeping. And so he woke up and he had this tune in his head and he quickly riffed it out on his guitar and recorded it and the rest is history. It's a very, very significant song, not just because of its music, but actually because of its philosophy. It is the quintessential rock star's anthem, both musically and philosophically, because what it says is, is that in spite of fame, in spite of money, in spite of many opportunities for sex, Nothing satisfies, so thinks Keith Richards, and maybe he had got it from the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by the original rock star. His name was Solomon, and uh, he put it slightly differently. He didn't say, can't get no satisfaction. He said, it is a chasing after the wind. These things leave you, if you try to grab the wind, it leaves you empty-handed. Um, and so he's searching for the meaning of life. If you were here last week, you'll remember the introduction that he says that everything that happens under the sun, if you only live life under the sun, that is without ever factoring God who lives above the sun, if you live life without factoring God into it, your life will be a dead end. It's meaningless. It's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. Don't live life under the sun. Remember that there is more to life than just what you can see, touch, taste, and hear. And so, in today's passage, he kind of approaches the subject in a little bit of a back-to-front way. He starts by saying, I tried this, I thought that would give me satisfaction, didn't work. I tried that, surely, and we, as we are the read, reading with him, surely that would have delivered satisfaction it failed. I did this. Well, now that's definitely going to give you but it was meaningless. And so he strings us on for a little while, and it gives us, actually it's helpful to be strung along because it gives us actually the freedom to ask the, the important mature questions of life. Most of you have left school. It's time to grow up. The immature questions of life is where can I find a boyfriend? Or which club is the best club to go to? Those are the childish things of life. The real questions of life are, what is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my existence? Do I have any value? Is what I'm studying and hoping to do one day with the rest of my life, is it valuable? And does it count for anything? Those are the important questions, and it's time for you to start asking those questions. 
And so the book of Ecclesiastes is written to start to stimulate us in those areas and to think about what meaning is and also what meaning isn't. And so I want to show you three things from tonight's passage. I'm going to ask them just to put all of three up at the same time. Uh, the first heading is seeking wisdom, finding sorrow. Secondly, we're going to look at uh, chasing pleasure, catching nothing. And thirdly, we're going to look at working hard, gaining little. So first, seeking wisdom, finding sorrow. He talks about wisdom in two parts of this passage, chapter 1, verse 12 to 16, and chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. He's going to show from his own experience how empty a life lived without God is. And so he tells us in verse 13 of chapter 1, I gathered wisdom. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. I devoted myself to studying wisdom, to seeking wisdom, to gathering wisdom. In verse, keep that verse up. He goes on to say, you know, God, God has given humans a very heavy burden. Verse 14 I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, that recurring phrase. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Everything is without purpose or meaning and is vain. And he ends this little, it's one of three things that he says to us about wisdom and the acquisition of wisdom. He ends it with a little proverb in verse 15, which says, What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, what he's saying in that proverb is he's saying, listen, I acquired, I gathered wisdom, and I worked out that actually there is something fundamentally and profoundly wrong with the world. There is something that is crooked. There is something that is lacking. You can't straighten it, and you can't count it. The world has come to us by God's hand, and there is something profoundly wrong with the world. Here's his second comment about wisdom. Not only did he gather wisdom, but he thought about wisdom. And this comes in verse 16. He says, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. He thinks about wisdom. Uh, he, look at um, uh, the next verse. Uh, no, sorry. Yes, then I applied myself to under the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. That's his conclusion. I gathered wisdom. I thought about wisdom. When I gathered wisdom, I realized it was chasing after the wind. When I thought about wisdom, I realized it was chasing after the wind. And he gives us a second proverb in verse 18. He says, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You know, ignorance is bliss. You know, when I'm on holiday, I try not to read the news because it just stresses me out. It's nice to be ignorant for a few weeks every year on holiday so that you don't have to worry about, you don't have to have grief because with more knowledge, with more wisdom comes more grief. And so wisdom brings sorrow. He gathered wisdom, he thought about wisdom, and now he compares wisdom. And he does this in chapter 2 and verse 12. Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. Folly is foolishness. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? And so he compares and he contrasts wisdom and folly. Uh, go to the next verse, please, Johan. Um, 
I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. Next one. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that actually the same fate overtakes them both. Wisdom is better than foolishness. Light is better than darkness. Wise people do have certain advantages in life, and they can get on with life. And foolish people keep making the same mistake, keep going back to the same thing, keep stumbling over the same obstacle, keep promising themselves that they'll never do that again and then do it again. Does that ring any bells for anybody? Or is it just me that keeps being foolish? All of us do that, don't we? It is better to be wise than to be a fool. But actually, here is the conclusion. Verse 15, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? This too is meaningless. The foolish person who keeps living life in this sort of Groundhog Day way, in a circle, never getting past their mistakes, keeping on being stupid and doing stupid things, actually has the same destiny as the wise person who is given 11 years to studying his degree. Both are going to die at the end. Like, what's the point? Sorry, Shalter, I don't mean to discourage you. I also had to squeeze my three-year degree into four years. So the conclusion is that both will end up dead in the end. See, if you're looking at life under the sun with your Bible closed, it is meaningless. The fool and the wise both have the same fate. So what's the point? And no one will remember anyway. And so it's no wonder that he says verse 17. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I think chasing after the wind comes seven times in this passage that was read tonight. So here are his three observations about the pursuit of wisdom. Number one, chapter one, verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. The world is broken. Second thing, Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 18. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And chapter 2 and verse 16, the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So that's the first route that he explored, the route of the acquisition of wisdom, education, knowledge, and it's a chasing after the wind. That's a good thing to be reminded of at the beginning of your degree, isn't it, first years? Here's the second thing, chasing pleasure, catching nothing. He conducts a second experiment to try and find meaning. It's called the university student method, pleasure. That's what he seeks. We are a pleasure-seeking culture, are we not? We are a pleasure-seeking town, are we not? Um, you know, no one pursued pleasure like Solomon. He was, as I said earlier, really the original rock star. For him, pleasure was no problem. He had a never-ending supply of wine, women, and song. Whole countries were jealous of Solomon's wealth and household. Do you know that he had access to a thousand women? 700 of them were wives, 300 of them were concubines. Can you imagine what dinner must have looked like in that household? And like modern celebrities, the more they have, the more they want. 
and the more they get, the less satisfied they are, as the law of diminishing returns unfolds. Solomon had it all. He did it all. He lived the dream. And, you know, he actually gives us his conclusion about the pursuit of pleasure before he tells us what he did to pursue pleasure. You can see it in chapter 2 and verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Here's the conclusion. That also proved to be meaningless. Well, what did he do? Well, the first thing is he enjoyed stand-up comedy. So look at verse 2. Laughter. He employed comedians to entertain him. He had Netflix with all of those stand-up comedians on Netflix to entertain him, and he decided that laughter is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Pointless. Then verse 3, he turned to substance abuse. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. What a modern man he is. He obviously came to Stellenbosch University. He turned to substance, to wine. He cheered himself with wine. And then he gathered possessions. Verse 4, he tries to amass possessions. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. Verse 5, I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. And so he built really a heaven on earth for himself. And people who saw it were absolutely stunned. It was better than Babylon's Turin. Nobody could believe it. He employed architects and people. Look at, look at verse 8. Let's go to verse 8. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and, and whole regions, whole provinces. I acquired male and female singers. And so he had entertainment. He had song. He had wine. He had comedians. And look at that last sentence in verse 8. And a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. He engaged in sex. And look at what the result was for his life. It actually, at one level, seemed to work for him. Verse 9, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all my, and, and in, this, in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. He got famous, became great, and his heart found pleasure in his toil. It worked, except, look at verse 11, yet, but, however, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I realized how stupid I was. I realized that it really was meaningless. Nothing was actually gained. It left me empty-handed and empty-hearted. Maybe that resonates with some of you. You've gone down a road of pleasure, thinking that it's going to deliver something to you that you later realized it didn't. And in fact, instead of giving something to you, it took something away from you, didn't it? And it left you broken and maybe less than what you were. And so he enjoyed himself like few people can and many people dream, but it didn't deliver meaning to him. But I know what you're thinking. 
if only I had a billion rand in my bank account, I'm sure none of that stuff would happen to me. I'll be the exception to the rock star rule. Friends, if Solomon tells you that pleasure doesn't deliver, it doesn't deliver. Don't be foolish and think that you know better than Solomon. Don't be stupid and think that you have to personally experience it before you can see it for what it really is, meaningless. Trust what Solomon tells you. He had it on levels that you will never have it on. Will we believe him? Or will we want to have first-hand experience before we believe him? Fame, fortune, women, wine, entertainment. Does it deliver? Solomon doesn't think so. Let's agree with him on that. And so he struck out with wisdom. That didn't deliver. He struck out with pleasure. That didn't deliver. And so he turns now to work. And so the third and final heading is working hard, gaining little. He makes one point, but he makes it twice as though to emphasize the point. And let's look at verse 18 together. Chapter 2, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. I worked so hard. I built cities and reservoirs and buildings. I turned Jerusalem into a paradise. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are at work, at some point you're going to hand it over, retire, resign, or die. And then what? Somebody else gets it. A kid inherits it all and uh, maybe wrecks it all, as is often the case. Look at what he says uh, in verse 20. Um, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all that they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. And so he gives his heart up to despair concerning all that he has achieved. And the reason is, he's got to leave it to an idiot child. And if the child isn't an idiot, maybe the child marries an idiot, and they wreck the inheritance. According to Time magazine, 70% of wealthy families lose all of their wealth by the second generation. Isn't that amazing? And 90% by the third generation, intergenerational wealth seldom lasts. It's done by the grandchildren. And so, verse 22, here's his conclusion. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Isn't that a good description of the rat race? Or haven't you experienced that the night before an exam or an assignment or some kind of assessment? where you wonder if you've done enough and you can't sleep and your mind is turning and you have a terrible night and then you have to drink coffee in order to make it through the day. We've all had that, haven't we? There it is. This too is meaningless. Pleasure and work and wisdom, nothing satisfies. Right, thanks for coming tonight. Oh, we're not done yet. He has, an, he has a conclusion. Look at verse 24. Uh, before we read it, can I just say to you, up until this point in the reading, God has not featured. I don't know if you've noticed that. 
It's all about what I have done, what my eyes have seen, what my heart has desired. It's all about my wisdom, my effort, my toil. And now for the first time, we have God mentioned three times in the last three verses. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Verse 25. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? Next verse. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases him. This too is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. And so he comes to this conclusion. You know, I've tried wisdom, failed. Tried pleasure, empty. Tried work, burdensome. But when I start to consider life above the sun, when I factor God into life, suddenly everything changes. The lights come on. Suddenly, actually, I realize that these are good gifts that come from God. Wisdom, pleasure, work, studies, sport, music, technology, art, friendship, eating and drinking together, all of those things are good gifts that come from God. Apart from God, you cannot enjoy anything. You can't eat anything. It all comes from God. And so it is not wrong for us, if you are a Christian tonight, it is not wrong for you to enjoy the good gifts that God has provided in the world for people. He's arguing for limited enjoyment with those things, not ultimate satisfaction in those things. Can I say that again? It's so important. He's arguing for limited enjoyment. Enjoy the good things that come from God, but stop trying to find your purpose in them, not ultimate satisfaction. Enjoy God's good gifts. Now, let's think about this for a bit. You know, some, some of you might be thinking too little of God's good gifts. When last have you thanked your parents for the good things that they've given you? Or do you just, are you just entitled to their gifts to you? Like the gift of studying. You just feel, oh, well, that's, I'm just entitled to that. When last have you thanked God for your health or for your friendships or for your privileges? It's a very interesting thing to me that one of the ways that the Bible describes our rebellion against God, you get this in Romans chapter 1, is thanklessness. Thanklessness is an example of rebellion against God. And so let's not think too little of God's good gifts. Let's give Him thanks. Let's enjoy the things that He has given us in a way that is self-aware, that is God-aware, that this comes from His hand and that all good gifts come from Him. Some people I know postpone the good gifts. Some think too little of the good gifts. Others postpone the good gifts. They do without their whole lives. Older people, kind of people in my age group, they work for 40 years and then they retire. That is, they are in hell for 40 years and then they progress to heaven in their retirement. That's how many people view work and retirement. And so they are doing without and denying themselves. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is saying to us, actually, don't, you don't have to deny yourself everything. Enjoy the things that come your way when they come your way. Don't be foolish about the future, obviously. Plan for the future. Although there are never any guarantees, you know. 
I don't know if you're aware of the story about a bank in our country called VBS, which basically shut down and it looks like it was actually robbed. It was, the money was actually diverted and stolen. But you know, there were thousands of pensioners who had put their life savings in that bank for decades. They were being wise with their money. They were saving for the future. And in a couple of months, it was gone. They've got no pension and they've got no comeback. Even when you're wise, things can work out badly. And so do save for the future, but also don't deny yourself the good gifts that God gives you in the present. Enjoy them. Friendship and marriage and love and relationships and all of those good things. Your student years, enjoy those things in the moment. Some think too little of God's good gifts. Others deny themselves God good, God's good gifts. But you know what we are more in danger of doing tonight? Is asking too much of God's good gifts. I think that's what he's saying to us tonight. God's good gifts cannot deliver to you ultimate meaning. They are good. They are there from God. He is to be thanked for them. They are to be enjoyed but don't put a weight on them that they were never designed to bear. They are there as a signpost to the giver of the good gifts. One Christian writer called Paul Tripp, he puts it quite well. He says, he says this, creation, that is the good gifts that come from God, is not meant to satisfy you. It's meant to be pleasurable, it's meant to be enjoyed so that you will run after ultimate pleasure, God, who will satisfy you. If God can give you the good gift of marriage or love or education or wisdom or work, if he can give you that, imagine how wonderful he must be. And so I want to say to you, some of you at the beginning of your student career, we need to look beyond the good gifts that God has given us. Thank Him for them. Enjoy them. Don't deny yourself them, necessarily. But look beyond them. Understand that they are not an end in themselves. They are a means to a greater end, and that is relationship with God, who is the only one who can satisfy and bring purpose and meaning into your life. Have you done that? I come from, I spent 26 years in Durban. Durbanites in the room, all the good looking people. Well done. Excellent. I had a lot of Durbanites say to me, because you know Durban is a surfing city. They, they would say to me, oh, no, I, don't, I don't sort of go to church. I, I, I really just worship God at the back line on a Sunday morning. Maybe for Stellenbosch's, it's, you know, I find God in the mountains when I go for a hike. Friends, I want to say to you that that's absolute nonsense. You do not find God in creation. That is mysticism, and it's nowhere in the Bible. You find God when you come to Jesus. That is the one and only place that you can come to, to enter into a relationship with him. Have you done that? Until you do, do you know what? Everything else, even the good things in life, are going to be pointless. Because if you see them as an end in themselves, you'll be left empty-handed as you grasp at the wind.
But if you see the one who stands behind them, and if you realize that the way to be friends with him is to come to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find meaning and purpose and joy, and that will last. Who wants to ask a question?